Good morning. Nice to see you. So we're going to be, um, we're carrying on our series in Exodus. So if you've got a Bible, you'd like to turn to Exodus 19 and uh, 20. So we're kind of halfway through the book of Exodus. We're more than halfway through our series. <clears throat> but this is where we are today. The Israelites have arrived in Mount Sinai and uh, they camp here for the rest of the book of Exodus. I don't know what I've done. I think I've done something here. So God has already done so much for the Israelites. So we've been learning about over the last few weeks. He's rescued them out of Egypt. He's delivered them from Pharaoh uh, and the Egyptian army when he took them through the Red Sea and uh, they were destroyed. The Israelites passed through safely and they've experienced God's provision in the wilderness, how he's provided for them to eat and water from rocks. And we know that God has rescued the Israelites. But in these two chapters that we look at this morning, we're beginning to see what God has rescued them for. So we're going to start reading 19 and uh, from verse 1. Is it me, Mike? Have I not put this in properly? Okay. Okay. Chapter 1. Chapter 19, verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephobim, they entered the desert of Sinai. The Israelites camped there, and Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So the nation of Israel is camped at the foot of the mountain, and Moses goes up the mountain where God speaks to him, giving him a message and telling him to go back down and deliver this message all about uh, the covenant relationship that God wants with the, the nation of Israel. And we're going to just look in verse 4. And uh, as Moses goes down to deliver this message, God starts by reminding them of what they have already done. And he says, you have seen what I did to Egypt. A reminder of God's sovereign power and might. How I carried you on the wings of eagles. The care and the tenderness with which God treated the Israelites as he brought them out of Egypt compared to those how he treated those that had enslaved them. God is also reminding them that it's what he has done for them. It's God that rescued them. They didn't escape from Egypt. God delivered them. It wasn't something they achieved. God did it for them. It's already happened, and they've been witnesses to it. They were part of it. They saw it happen. They know it's happened. And God said, and I brought you to myself. And they might have been thinking that 
their destination was going to be the promised land and just somewhere where they were going to settle down and, and enjoy it and not have all this, you know, we're not slaves anymore, we don't have to worry about that. But God starts to reveal his bigger plan. He saved and he rescued them for a relationship with him. I bought you to myself. And verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Just think about that, to be God's treasured possession, chosen out of all the nations. An amazing privilege. But there's a condition. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Now at this point, there's no specific rules attached to this. There's no specific law given, but the implication is clear. This is a covenant relationship And the Israelites have to play their part in this arrangement. And their part is to obey and follow God's commands. And if they do this, they will be his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. And God is promising to be their God. And they will be his possession in a really special way. And they will have blessings beyond other nations if... If they keep his covenant. And there will also be this kingdom of priests. And the priests are the ones that have intimate access to God. God is promising this intimacy for all the people. Not just one priest, but you're going to be a kingdom of priests. And you're going to be a holy nation. You're going to be set apart, distinguished from all the other nations. Reflecting the goodness and the character of God. And God has already rescued them. He has saved them, and they are to obey him, and the outcome will be this special relationship. And what I want you to do is just to note the order. God saved them. That's what he's reminding them in verse 4. And now they're called to obey, enter into the relationship that God has called them to. So if we come on reading in verse 7. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and said, before them all words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speak with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. So having come down to the people and spoken God's word, they're all in agreement. They all want this covenant relationship. And they say, yes, we'll do everything the Lord has said. And Moses goes back up the mountain where God tells him that he's going to come and speak in a way that everybody, the whole nation, is going to hear his audible voice. And so this isn't just Moses relaying God's messages. God's saying, Come and, and I want the whole nation to encounter my presence and hear me speak for themselves. And yet, before this can happen, the Israelites need to consecrate themselves. So, verse 10 And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. 
put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. God is holy. And therefore, although God was inviting the Israelites into this relationship with him, to come into the presence of God cannot be approached lightly. To be consecrated means to be set apart. And so the Israelites have three days to prepare themselves to come before a holy God. And God has these rules and touching the mountain because God's presence descends on it. I must swap in. <laughs> Sorry, it's always me that this doesn't work for. Okay. So God puts all these rules around the mountain because as God's presence descends on it, the mountain becomes holy just as God is holy. And God wants a relationship with his people, but they cannot ignore the fact that God is a holy God. And so so God's putting all this in place. Verse 16, we'll carry on reading from there. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast everyone in the camp trembled then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him just imagine being there you've got thunder you've got lightning you've got a thick cloud coming down and a loud trumpet blast, and the whole of the mountain was trembling as God descended on it in fire you know you can't imagine what it would be like it must have been absolutely terrifying it would be like having an earthquake and a volcano just being beneath a volcano as it started erupting And this was God coming down to meet with the Israelites. And as he came down, Moses spoke to God and God answered him and all the people heard him. And then Moses goes back up the mountain and the first thing God says to him is go back down and warn the people not to push their way up the mountain to see God because he didn't want them to perish as they came into his presence. And it reminds them again of his holiness. They've seen God. They're kind of terrified by what they've seen. And yet God is there with them. But again, reminding them of his holiness. And we're just going to pick up in chapter 20 now. Verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. And you shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. 
but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or daughters, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving to you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. It's a lot there, isn't there? The Ten Commandments. But before we focus on the commandments themselves, I want us to go back and look again at verses 1 and 2. And I just want us to note again the order. And God is reminding them of what he's already done. This is the starting point, the foundation. This is what's already happened. God starts by saying, I am the Lord your God. This is who I am and this is what I have already done for you. I have brought you out of Egypt. I've brought you out of slavery. And it's easy for us to focus in on verse 3, isn't it? You know, the first, you shall... You shall not have any other gods. But God doesn't start with the rules. He starts by what has already been done for them. Just as he did in chapter 19, verse 4. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on the eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God starts by reminding them of that they've already been rescued out of slavery. Knowing that, being in that position of already being saved, of already being rescued, now, as a response to that, this is how you are to live in the freedom that's already been attained for you. And this is how you are to live in relationship to God and how you are to live in relationship to one another. And this might sound really, really obvious, but the order that God has done this is really important. Because back in Exodus 3, God spoke to Moses on this very same mountain and he told him to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And what God didn't do... When God first met Moses on this mountain, God didn't give him the Ten Commandments then. He didn't tell Moses to take the Ten Commandments um, to the Israelites who were being oppressed and living in slavery and tell them that these are the things you need to do. If you want God to come and rescue you, if you want God to pay attention to you, here's the list of things you need to do or not do. They weren't a condition of being rescued because God didn't do that 
He didn't look at the Israelites in their distress in Egypt. He didn't look at them and get out of his checklist and say, well, you've not kept that one, and you've not kept that one, and you've not kept that one. You're not doing really well. You you need to work harder. You need to prove yourself more and more. This is not what happened because salvation is not dependent on what we do. Salvation is a work of God. And God saved them by doing what they could not do themselves. They could not rescue themselves. They could not deliver themselves from the Egyptians. God did that on their behalf. And as we've gone through the book of Exodus and we remind ourselves again and again of how God brought them out of slavery, we need to remind ourselves that this doesn't just apply to the Israelites. It applies to us too because this is the very foundation of the gospel that we believe. In Romans 5 verse 8 it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we couldn't do anything for ourselves, while we were still getting it all wrong and messed up, God died for us. God rescues us. And so if we're saved regardless of anything we do, why then do we need rules and why do we need to obey God? And obedience is not the means of salvation. Obedience is not how we get God to save us, but obedience is how we respond to him. God starts by reminding the Israelites of what he's already done and then tells them, in response, you are to have no other gods before me or worship other things that represent God or act in such a way as to dishonor me before the other nations. This is how you are to live, to honor me and make your glory known. Because living God's way, according to his rules, is not just the best way to know him and have good relationships with others. It's a way of demonstrating God to those that don't know him. God made himself known. The other nations would have heard of God's fame. as They would have heard the stories. They would have known about this amazing deliverance through the Exodus. And at Sinai, the Israelites become this covenant people with a calling to continue to make God known to the other nations around them. And they do this by how they live differently to other nations. And God is saying, I want to make myself known to you. I want you as a nation to enter into this relationship with me. And he does this by coming with his presence on the mountain and speaking audibly to Moses in their presence. But not only does he want them to know him, he wants to make himself known through them. And as they obey these commandments, their lives will be shaped in such a way as to display the character of God and that they would be known as a holy nation that God declared they should be in chapter 19. And as we look at the the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments are ways in which we are to love God. They define our relationship with God, our faith and our commitment to him. 
And then the next six detail the boundaries for healthy human relationships, how we're to love one another. We're not to murder or steal or commit adultery or to be jealous of one another, which leads to murdering and stealing and adultery. We're to honor our mother and father. But the rescue comes before the rules. God saves them first. They're not a condition of their rescue, but now they are saved, they need to learn how to respond to their rescuer and live in this new freedom. And just as the Israelites had to trust in the blood of the Passover lamb to to save them in Egypt, and just as they had to trust in God to deliver them as they walked through the sea on dry land, now they need to learn to trust God by obeying him and keeping covenant with him. Because this is a covenant relationship. And fundamentally, that's about trusting in God. And when we trust God, we obey him. And as we obey him, we experience greater intimacy with God. And Jesus, in John chapter 14, verse 23, he said, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. The obedience comes out of our love. If we love Jesus, we will obey him. Our obedience flows out of this, and it is evidence of our love of God. And the more we obey, the closer and more intimate our relationship with God, and the more we know him, the more we love him, and the more we want to obey as an expression of our love. And it it all works together. But we have to remember that God is a holy God. Remember when God came down onto the mountain, God is a holy God, and Israel are called to be a holy nation. God has delivered them and called them to himself, but he's also defining how they are to live as this holy nation representing God himself. So he says, you shall have no other gods before me. What matters most determines our behavior and our emotions. And he's saying, don't put anything else before me. Keep me center. Keep me first and foremost. Put your trust in me. Put your trust in me and not other things. Don't make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or earth below. Don't be like the Egyptians. You know, as a nation, I've rescued you from those. Don't be like other nations that make images and statutes to worship. And don't try and mold God into something you want him to be. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. We're image bearers of God. We're called to reveal his goodness and reflect his glory. So God says, don't act in such a way as to damage my reputation. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Don't rely on yourself. Don't believe your future depends on everything you do in your hard work. Keep the Sabbath because as you keep the Sabbath and you rest from work, it's an act of trusting in God that God is sovereign and God can do so much more than we can do in our own strength. When we keep the Sabbath, we're trusting in God. 
Honour your mother and father so you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. There's a condition here. We're to learn to respect parental responsibility just as we are to respect and to submit to the authority of our Heavenly Father. We're not to murder. And we know that when Jesus, Jesus taught, he went even further than this. And he said it's not just about outwardly conforming to these laws It's much more about the attitude of our hearts. We can say, well, we haven't murdered anyone. But Jesus said, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Wow. Takes it to a different level, isn't it? It's not good enough to say we haven't murdered if we're harboring murderous thoughts about someone. You shall not commit adultery. But adultery is not just a physical act. Jesus said, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her heart, with her in his heart. If you've imagined it, if you've desired it in your heart, then you've already committed adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not cover. Examine your hearts. Don't be greedy or deceitful. Be content with what you have. Because discontentment, when it grows, it leads us to breaking all these other rules. And the reality is that as we really examine these commandments... And we really look at them and we look at Jesus' teaching. Then we we realize that actually we can't keep them. We'll all have broken them in one way or another. We have and we will mess up. And the good news is, in Romans 3, verse 20, it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. We look at this list of rules and we realize how far short we fall of God's standards. We're not going to keep them all. We're not going to be able to do it. Verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short. We all sin. We all break the law. But, and are freely justified by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We cannot perfectly keep these rules And therefore, we cannot earn our salvation, even if we try to impress God. But what these rules, what these laws do, is they show us our need for a saviour. We cannot do it ourselves. We may think we can, and we, we might try really hard, but the point is that we can't. Only Jesus kept all of these commands There was no sin found in him, and therefore he became a sacrifice for us on the cross. And we are saved because of him. Not anything we've done, 
And we're invited into this relationship with God because we are credited with Jesus' righteousness, not our own good works. And just like the Israelites, we need to remind ourselves of what Jesus has already done for us. We obey as a response to what Jesus has already done, not to earn his approval. And just as Israel made God known to the other nations, so the church reflects the character of God as we choose to obey him. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9, Peter's writing to the Christians and he declares, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Does it sound familiar? Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. Out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Just as God declared to Israel that this is who they are to be, it's who we are as the church. We're chosen. We're God's special possession. Possession, we're a royal priesthood, knowing God personally as well as corporately, but also called to make God known to others. Uh, 1 Peter 1 verses 15 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. We are to be holy as God is holy, so that we display his character This is who we are. This is our identity in Christ, the chosen, uh, the royal priesthood, a holy nation. We choose to submit to God and live according to his way, under his rule rather than our own rule, because we delight in God. And through our obedience to his ways, we show how much we love and delight in him. And God rescued Israel and brought them to himself that they might know him and make him known. And God saved us and he adopted us into his family. And he declared us to be his children and made us righteous before him that we could know him. And we could make him known to the world around us. We are the chosen people and the royal priesthood making God known as we obey and live in such a way to honour him. And if you've thought that God and Christianity is just about keeping rules, then I, I hope you're beginning to see that it's not. God comes to us by his grace and saves us, not because of anything we've done to impress him. Our obedience is in response to what God has already done, If rules came first, we would never be saved. And if you're trying to earn your salvation, then I just want to encourage you to give up now because you're never going to do it. And instead, accept what Jesus has already done on your behalf. And when we mess up and we get it wrong, we feel the impact of that. And the law makes us conscious of our sin. The law makes us conscious of our need for our saviour. And the law makes us conscious of our need to repent. And when we don't, But when we don't live up to God, we don't have to feel condemned because that's not God's way either. Our faith and our hope is in Jesus. 
It's our new identity and our acceptance is in him, not in our ability to keep the law. We know forgiveness through Jesus. So we want to be a people who seek to obey God as an act of worship. And as we do so, we're declaring that God is God and we are not. Our obedience to his ways, even when it's hard, is an act of trust. We're declaring that we believe God is who he says he is. And we look to him to satisfy us rather than seeking satisfaction in other things. And as we live lives obedient to him, not only do we make him known to others through seeking to live lives that honor him and please him, but we also grow closer to knowing him and experience his grace in our lives more and more.